you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 this morning. 1 Thessalonians, verses 9 through 12. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote uh, a famous essay called The Four Loves, and it's one of my favorite uh, works of his, and I commend it to you. Uh, and essentially what he does is he, he says that uh, Greek has four different, or, or in the Greek, there's four different words uh, to describe love, or four different words for love. Um, and in fact, there's actually six different Greek words. I don't know why he said there were only four, but there's six different words. But he, he, he kind of deals with the, the four main types uh, of love that's found, uh, words for love in the Greek language. And, and actually, all four of those words are contained here, or shown here, in the book of Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. The first kind of love is what's called storge, storge, which is family love or the love of a parent to a child and, and, and everything that goes along with that. The second one is maybe one that you've heard before, agape. Agape is a word that essentially describes God's love for his people. And the way that that is translated in many translations is charity. Sacrificial love, God's sacrificial love for his people. So storge, agape. Uh, the third one we saw last week, eros, that's where we get the word erotic from. Uh, and essentially what that is, is intimacy. Intimacy between a husband and a wife. And we looked at that last week. And then this week we're going to see uh, the fourth kind of love, philia. Um, and that is brotherly love. Uh, you get the word Philadelphia, the city title Philadelphia. Love of the brother, that's what that means. And that's what this passage is about this week. Uh, and what he's calling the, the Thessalonian Christians to is righteousness and love for your brother. And that's what this passage is all about. I want to remind you of the formula that we saw last week, the formula of sanctification, how you grow in Christ by God's grace. And again, it is by God's grace that you grow in Christ. And he gives you this way to know that you can grow and, and how to grow. The formula is very simple. Put off unrighteousness. Like you, It's basically like taking off the, the grossness of your sin. Just take it off. And then you have to put something on after you take off your sin. You put on righteousness. And you do both of those things. You take off unrighteousness and put on righteousness by renewing the mind, by thinking differently than you thought previously. And that formula, we're going to see that again in this passage. So let me read this for us. This is, again, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. This is God's good and kind and gracious word to you today. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding this word. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today, and we pray that we would be encouraged by it, and that we would not feel the burden of the law, but the glory of your grace 
and giving us the ability to love each other well because we have been loved well. I pray that you would help me to communicate your grace today, that we would see just how much we have been loved in Christ, even through this passage. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So we're going to look at this passage in three ways. First of all, we're going to see commending, uh, that Paul commends their love. Secondly, we're going to see the putting off and putting on. And then thirdly, the renewing of the mind section. So first of all, commending their love. And that's where Paul begins in this passage. Um, And this is really a wonderful beginning. If you have to have an apostle, you know, one of the big guys write to you, I think you would want him to say these sorts of things. He commends their love. Um, There is a a theory of of critiquing someone that I'm sure most of you have heard. This theory says, I don't know if there's a title for it or anything, but it says if you have to give someone some kind of criticism, then what do you do? You give two positives for every negative that you have to tell them. Two positives for every negative that you have to tell them. Uh, My preaching professor in seminary, in some ways, uh, subscribed to this, ascribed to this this theory of giving criticism. We would have to preach or practice sermons in front of a class. It was terrifying to do that. You're sitting there in front of professors and, and students, and they're critiquing your sermons. Okay? They're much less gracious than y'all are. I appreciate that. Okay? But my professor, um, he had an interesting way of critiquing our sermons. You always knew if it was a really bad sermon by his two... Um, Two positives that he would give you. He would say to you, if you had a really bad sermon, first of all, nice reading of the text. You did a great job. And he would go on and on about how good you did at reading the text. And then secondly, if you had a really bad sermon, he would say, and you kept it in the time constraints given to you. Thank you for doing that. And usually he would leave off the bad things. You knew it was a bad sermon if he said... Thank you for keeping it short, and you read the Bible. Thank you for doing that. That's all you got right. And what I learned from that was I was the greatest scripture reading that ever reader that ever existed in the history of the world. I was really good at it. Okay. Um, Paul doesn't do that with these young Christians. He gives them a wonderful commendation. And he says, you love each other really well, and you are to be commended for that. And that's a wonderful thing. And he uses an interesting word to talk about how and why they do that. Look at verse 10. For indeed, or I'm sorry, look at the end of verse 9. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. We see here there's something of a miracle that's happening in Thessalonica. So um, Paul had to leave Thessalonica very quickly. He was under persecution. He had to leave for the safety of those young Christians. He had to get out of town. He was only there for about a month. And he was worried that when he left, that bad things were going to happen among them. I mean, parents, what are you like when you leave your kids alone with each other? Okay? Or what are your kids like when you leave them alone, right? You know what to expect. You know bad things are going to happen. They're not going to love each other very well for the most part. Well, that's what Paul is concerned about. He had to leave. He had to get out of Dodge. And he's sending Timothy, expecting for there to be lots of infighting in the church, even if there's any Christians left. That's not what he finds. And the reason why he says he finds that is because they have been taught by God. See, Paul wasn't able to instruct them and give them all the instructions that he wanted to do. And so what happened? God intervened himself to teach these young Christians how they were to love one another. I mean, 
it was a miraculous way. This is a word taught by God. It's only used one time in all of the scriptures. It's not used very many places. Typically, you're taught through means. And the means that God uses to teach people is the apostles and the prophets. And today, he uses the church, preachers and teachers in the church. But here, we're told that God taught them directly. It's a miraculous thing. And it was effective. I mean, I would imagine that if you have God as a teacher, then you're going to learn what you need to learn. It was an effective thing, so he commends them for their love. They obeyed the teaching of God. There's two things that I want to uh, glean from this, two two means of two things uh, of application. Um, First of all, I want you to understand that brotherly love is not natural to humans. It's not natural to sinful humans. Perhaps you've noticed that. I don't know if you've paid attention to that. But it doesn't come natural to us to love other sinners. Why? Because we're sinners. It's not natural. Loving other people is difficult. Um, and even God knows that it's difficult. <laughs> you know how God knows it's difficult to love sinners? Because he had to die in order to save us from our sins. He knows just how difficult it is to love others. So, first of all, know that loving others is hard. And secondly, I want you to know that brotherly love is so important that God suspended the the laws of the physical universe. He suspended time and space in order to intervene to teach these Thessalonian Christians to love each other. That's how important brotherly love is. Loving one another is near and dear to God's heart. It is his desire for his people. Remember last week we we kind of spent some time on this in verse 3 of of chapter 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then in our Bibles we have a colon that says everything that follows is going to tell you about what it means, what God really wants. He wants you to be sanctified and this is the way that he wants you to be sanctified. In brotherly love for each other in the church. That's what he wants. Loving each other is not optional for Christians. It is not optional for Christians. And indeed, it's got an evangelical point to it. It's got an evangelistic point to it. How are other people going to know we are Christians? How are they going to know who Jesus Christ is? It's not because we're really effective teachers of who Jesus Christ is. It's not because we do a really good job of singing at Christmas time or any other time for that matter. That's not how people will know who Jesus Christ is. First John, uh, First John 4, I believe, it's where he says, They will know us by our love for each other. That brotherly love is one of the means, the primary means, that God uses to preach the gospel to those who are outside. All right? That's the importance of this. Brotherly love is really hard, but also brotherly love is necessary. So let's get into the meat of this by talking about how we are to grow in our in brotherly love. And it's an interesting thing that he says. So second point, putting off and putting on. And we see this in 10b and 11. 10b and 11. For he says, um, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So... He's commended them for their brotherly love, but he says, but you have to grow in your brotherly love, to grow more and more in your brotherly love. And he says, this is how you do it. 
So the putting off part, what, what kind of unrighteousness that do you have to take off of yourself? What kind of dirty rags are you covered in that you need to take off? Well, it's kind of implicit in this. And so he says in verse 11, or, um, uh, verse 11, aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs to work with your hands. Now, implicitly, there are some negative things that we have to take off, so I'll give them to you right now. Here's what we as Christians need to take off unrighteousness. We need to take off drama. We need to take off busybodiness. And we need to take off idleness or laziness. Okay? Those are the three things that Paul says. This is how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. First of all, take off drama. And you all know what drama is? Drama is all that stuff that happens around people that, that just seems to pop up. And for some reason or another, we get dragged into it. And it's kind of this showiness um, it's involved in this is also being showy with your Christianity. Um, trying to show just how Christian you are in various things. And it's involving yourself as a Christian in silly fights that other people are involved in, especially on Facebook. Being brought into controversial things and, and feeling like you have to say something to someone to correct somebody whenever they say something wrong. I mean, um, that's kind of the picture of drama that, that Paul wants us to avoid and stay away from. Um, I saw a little little picture on Facebook that says, you know, you, somebody can post something on Facebook that's wrong and you can just ignore it. You, know, you don't have to respond to it. For those of you that are on Facebook, some of you aren't. That's essentially all Paul's saying is, you want to love your brother and sister in Christ? Avoid drama. Secondly, avoid busybodiness. Y'all know what this is. Don't involve yourself in other people's affairs unnecessarily, right? Don't go out of your way to get involved in other people's stuff. If you aren't asked by people to involve yourself, then don't insert yourself in their problems. So avoid busybodiness. And then thirdly, avoid idleness or laziness. He says, don't be lazy. There's that old saying that idle hands are the devil's workshop. Well, that saying is true as far as it goes. That that if you're lazy, if you're idle, if you're not doing the things that God has given you, then you're going to be more likely to do those things, the involving yourself in other people's stuff and getting involved in drama and useless controversies and all those things. So Paul says to these, these young Christians, avoid these three things. And I'll just ask you to avoid those three things as well. Put off drama, put off busybodiness, put off laziness. Just, just take off those things, okay? And then we have to move into the next point. What do we put on then? If we're to take those things off, what are we to put on? And he explicitly lays these things out for us. He says, again in verse 11, Aspire to live a quiet life or be ambitious about living quietly. Right? That needs to be your ambition. Live quietly. Then secondly, he says, and mind your business. Mind your own affairs. Tend to your own affairs. And then thirdly, he says, put on hard work. Put on hard work. This is so clear. Aspire to live a quiet life and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands. Those three things. Put on quiet living. Literally, it means stop being chaotic and running here and there. Stop doing that. 
Live quietly. Seek to live a quiet life. And you have to remember that these were individuals that were suffering under persecution. And what Paul says is you don't have to go out looking for persecution. You don't have to go out of your way to tell people that you're Christians in order for them just to bring persecution onto you. You don't have to do that. Seek to live a quiet life. Don't be all showy in all of those things. Secondly, he says essentially this, mind your own business. Mind your business. Because here's the thing, God has given you enough to worry about in your own family, in your own life, without having to worry about everybody else's stuff. You don't have to go insert yourself in other people's lives in order to get some kind of satisfaction or anything like that. And I think about it like this. Um, Some of you maybe have heard me talk about this. One of my professors uh, talked about our life and sanctification in this way. He says, all of us have been given a farm to tend to. We've all been given a garden to tend to. Okay, All of you have this garden, and it is your garden. God has given you this garden. He has not given someone else your garden. He has not given you someone else's garden. It is your garden. Okay, If you're married... If you're a husband, your garden is your wife and your family and your job and your church life. And that's pretty much it, okay? That's your garden, your wife, your family, your church life. There's a few other things maybe in there, but that's pretty much it. If you're a wife, it's your husband, your kids, your, you know, your immediate family and all of these. Like You have a garden that you tend to. Now, what's in that garden? It is going to be slightly different for, for some of us. Some of us are going to have larger gardens. Some of us are going to have very small gardens. Okay, um, it, At our house, we have a four-by-four four square plot of land that we have designated our garden. And every year, we get about ten tomatoes, ten bell peppers, um, and that's it. That's all. But, but that's what we can handle. That's our garden. We can't handle a garden the size of Mr. Clyde's. Mr. Clyde can handle a much bigger garden, right? You have your own garden to tend to, so tend to your garden, not someone else's. And then how do you tend to your garden? What do you do? Well, you work hard at it, literally and figuratively. I mean, he says here, and work with your hands. This isn't the only place that Paul says work with your hands. Um, He says in Ephesians chapter 4, if someone is caught stealing, they need to learn to work with their hands. Why? Because they stole with their hands. And they need to learn to work with the very thing that they stole, for, stole with, okay? So work with your hands and work hard. If you have a, a job that requires hard labor, well, do it hard. Like work with your hands so that your working is hard. Don't be idle in it. But also figuratively, he just means this. Whatever it is that God has given you to do, do it to the best of your ability. And if you're working to the best of your ability at what God has given you to do, you're not going to have time to do all the other stuff that you end up getting involved in. You're not going to have time for the drama and all that sort of stuff. Live quietly. Mind your business. And work hard. And this is, you know what's amazing about these things? He is telling them this, that this is how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> How do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Mind your business. All right? Now, 
And Kenny reminded me of this. Kenny couldn't be here this morning. And he said, now, you've got to be careful in telling this because some people are going to hear this and they're going to hear that they don't have to be responsible to help other, other people. That's not what this is saying. One part of Scripture that says, bear one another's burdens, which happens to be in Ephesians as well, written by Paul, does not negate or is not negated by this that says, mind your business. The point in this is kind of in the next section where he says, renew the mind, think about things differently. Where he says, you need to do these three things in order for something that's even better. Okay, So live quietly, mind your business, and work hard. And it's good advice. We need to be reminded of these things constantly. All right? But we're not done being sanctified until we renew the mind, until we think differently. And so that's what we see at the very end of uh, in verse 12. He says, So that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Again, your manner of life is important. For Christians, the way that we live is important. Living a quiet life, living a life that is... Uh, that sh- that uh, of minding our business and not embroiling ourselves in unnecessary controversies and working hard is one of the means that God uses to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And it's ironic. He says here, be quiet, work hard at your own stuff, mind your business, try not to be noticed because by doing that, what's going to happen? You're going to be noticed. <laughs> If you seek to live a quiet life, you're going to be so different than everyone else in the world that is not trying to be quiet. Because everyone else in the world is trying to put themselves over everyone else by shoving everyone else down. He says, if you're living a quiet life, everyone's going to want some of that. So live that way. Your manner of life is important. And I'm reminded in uh, Les Mis, Jean Valjean, the the, the main character in Les Mis, when when he is caught uh, stealing... Uh, from the priest, and the priest uh, gives him all the things that he was stealing in order to give him a new life. He goes away, and you know what he ends up doing? Jean Valjean is transformed into someone who is uh, who is gracious and loving because he's been shown grace and was shown love. And so he ends up going to this city. He becomes the mayor of the city. He ends up owning a, a huge um, a factory where people work, and they love to work for him. He's kind. He's gracious. He's loving. And all of that because he minds his own business, he lives quietly, God blesses him, and then he blesses other people. Okay? That's the interesting thing about it. Whenever you live this way, then you're able to then go and be involved in other people's lives appropriately. All right, so focus on yourself first, focus on your affairs, focus on your things, so that your life can be an example to others and can show forth Christ. And then secondly, he says, and you won't be dependent on other people. This is really an interesting thing. He says, why should you do these things? So that you're not dependent upon others. And you think about these Christians as they're being persecuted, as they might need some assistance from the outside. He's saying, well, if you live quietly and work hard, then God's going to bless that for you so that you're not going to need assistance from the outside, so that you're not going to have to put yourself under more and more persecution. This is an important thing, I think, for the, for the American Christian church and for us to understand. I think right now we are, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the, um, the tax-exempt status for pastors is about to be taken away, or there's the threat of it. 
constantly about to be taken away, which would be uh, an increase in the tax bill for, for pastors, that for some of my friends have said that would eliminate their ability to pastor churches. And then also the tax-exempt status for churches is always threatened to be taken away. Well, I see Christian churches that are very fearful of that very thing because they think, well, well, then we won't have enough money to do all the things that we have to do. Well, we need to be prepared for that. And here's one way to do that. We need to not be dependent upon that money. Okay? You need to not be dependent upon the tax break that you get for giving to the church. But we also, as a church, need to recognize that there could be a time whenever the government decides that we do not get tax-exempt status anymore. That hits us in the wallet, right? But we don't need to be afraid of that. We need to be to work hard, to focus on our own things, and recognize that God is the one that is in charge of however much money we have. And we need to trust him through that. But it also helps us prepare for it whenever that kind of persecution comes. It's going to come. Let's start getting ready, getting ready for it now. Think that way now. Focus on your own stuff now so that later on, when hard times come, you're ready for it. Again, this is brotherly love because the more, the more you're able to be less dependent on others, guess what? The more you're going to be able to give to others. And that's the point of being Christians. God has given you your garden. He's given you your stuff to take care of. But it's so that you can feed other people. It's so that you can work in the church for Christ so that you can give to other people. And taking care of your stuff helps you take care of other people's stuff whenever they need help. Because some people here need help. And at some point, you are going to need help. This does not negate anybody that at some point, by circumstances that are outside of our own control, that we're going to need help at times. And you want to take care of other people so that at certain times you can be available to receive the help that you need. And that's kind of God's design for the church. We need to learn to mind our own business at the front so that we can help people at the end. So that we can not be dependent upon others so that we can help other people. And that's, that's the point of all of this. And that is how you can love your brothers and sisters. Here's the thing, if your garden is going really well, if you're tending your garden really well by God's grace, then look around and see whose garden needs help. Look around and see how can you help and love your brother or sister in Christ. Young families need help. The elderly need help. Others of us need help. And maybe you have the opportunity and the ability to help by God's grace. This is a way that we can grow, and Paul urges us to grow in this more and more. Let's pray and thank God for giving us this word. Our Father, we thank you for this word. I pray that you would encourage us with this, uh, that we would see just how much we have been loved in Christ, uh, that Jesus uh, took care of us so that we can take care of our own things and then help take care of others. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us in that. And we pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen.